0: Pastor Steve is in Missouri. I, I kept saying Tennessee the last two services. And so he texted and said, no, it's not Tennessee, it's Missouri. So he's in Missouri. Where he went to pick up his daughter, and he'll be back uh, next week to, to continue as we come into the holiday season. Um, so keep him in prayer that they will have a safe journey on the way back. Um, but we're here this morning, and we're, we're, he wanted me to finish off letting go, the letting go series. And so this morning, this afternoon, what we're going to be talking about is letting go of selfishness. They give me these titles because I'm the sweet one. But letting go of selfishness, you know, the, the, the reality of it is this, if we don't admit that we're selfish, we can't let go of selfishness. All of us. Every single one of us, from all the way up, all the way down, in the middle, to the back, everywhere, all of us struggle with selfishness. Because we want things our way. We want things our way. We want to do it when we want to do it. We want, to, we want to, Whatever we want to do, we want to say, I, I, I want to be comfortable. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. And selfishness is one of those things that if we don't deal with it, it will destroy you. Selfishness destroys relationships. It destroys friendship. A lot of us are having a hard time in our friendships because some friends can't be trusted. Some friends, when you get around them, instead of them adding something to you, they suck the life out of you. And so even when they call you and you see the caller ID and you see the name come up, you say, praise God, I ain't touching it. <laughs> I can't hear one more complaint. I can't hear one more murmur. I can't hear, I don't have a man, and if I had a man, my life would be all right. And if I had a girl, I, you know, I can't hear any of that stuff anymore because I'm tired hearing it. Because some people, you, it, it just gets weary and tired. And if I hear it one more time, I'm going to shoot myself. Selfishness. Letting go of selfishness. And the reason why sometimes we fall into this place of, of selfishness, because James talks about it in, in James chapter 4, is because all the things we want that we can't have, and, 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 and then jealousy gets up all in that thing. And, and before you know if you don't take care of selfishness, it will suck the life out of you. Now, we say to people all the time, the older you get as a Christian, the sweeter you should be. But we all know old hags who are grumpy, murmuring, complaining, nobody wants to be around them, everybody. But I always say to people, "The, the, the longer you are a Christian, the longer you are in the kingdom of God, the sweeter you should be becoming. Why? Because more of Jesus should be in you. And if you're going in the opposite direction, that means there's less of Jesus in you. That means there may be a problem and there may be, it may be time to change. And the great thing about this sermon this morning is this, it's not about the person sitting next to you, it's about you. So all you need to do this afternoon as we have a little talk is focus on you. 1 Thessalonians 4.11 says, as much as is in your power, mind your own business. I mean, that would take 10 pounds off some of us. If we could just mind our own business. You say, Pastor, that's in the Bible? 1 Thessalonians 4.11? I've never seen it. Why? Because you never open it. <laughs> but it's there. And so let's, let's, let's have a little talk this morning as we talk about, how do I let go of selfishness? How how can I minimize it and and ultimately just cast it out of my life, in a so that I'm becoming less and selfish? Here's the thing about it. Every Christian should be able to measure their Christian walk. You should be able to measure it. If you're not fooling yourself, you should be able to measure your Christian walk. And you need to be able to say, I am less selfish this year than I was last year. God doesn't doesn't expect perfection and for us to be perfect. No, that will only happen when we get to heaven. But every day, every month, every year, year by year, as Christians, we need to be becoming more like Christ and submitting less to the flesh year by year. And if you find yourself not changing, don't fool yourself. Do something about it. And one of the things you can do about it is making sure that Sunday morning is non negotiable to you. Why? Because this is where you get stirred up, this is where you get challenged, this is where we slap you between your eyes and say, Wake up! You're going in the wrong direction. Because the hardest thing about being a Christian is that everybody else is going down in one direction and you and I and other Christians are supposed to be going in the opposite direction. But it's a lot easier to float down the river than to swim against the current. And let me tell you something. The current is becoming more and more vicious. And so if you're going to be a Christian in New York City, you're going to have to have some backbone. You're going to have to have some courage. You're going to have to be able to say, if nobody else follows Jesus, I'm going all by myself. Because the road to destruction, the Bible says, is wide. And many be on it. But the road to eternity is narrow. And compared to the population, and the population of this world, few are on it. The last time we were talking, they gave account, they said there's about six billion people in the the world. And out of that six billion, one billion say they they have some kind of ties to Christianity. One billion out of six billion. That's why the road is wide and the road is narrow. And even out of the narrow one billion, we know that everybody is not a Christian. Because you have all the cults in there, you have the Jehovah's Witnesses, you have all the other things in there that make up that number. And so even the one billion is shriveled down. That is what you're up against. That is what you and I are up against. And that's why you and I then have to have some courage to be able to say, Lord, if nobody else goes this way. As for me and my house, we've made up our mind. And whatever the price we have to pay, we will pay it. So, how do we talk about getting rid of selfishness? Turn your Bibles to James chapter 4. And, and, and the great thing about it is now that we have Wi-Fi, every Christian should have the Bible in their phone. Every Christian should have their Bible in their phone. Every Christian should have their Bible in the phone. Every real Christian. Because I remember when I was growing up, when I didn't want to carry my Bible, I would deliberately leave it home. And when they said, turn the crowd, my mother would say, where's your Bible? I said, ma, I left it. You left it home? Pam, silly boy. I'm going to slap that word into your mind. But now God knew that we do those things, so he gave us technology. You can carry your Bible everywhere because nobody leaves their phone behind. Just shake your head yes. You know it. You have a panic attack when you leave the phone behind. You will be on the LIE and turn around and go home to get your phone. Just in case you miss a call. Deviate. Do you remember the times that we had to wait to come home to listen to an answer machine? whatever happened there now we, we get we get nervous breakdowns when we forget our phones guys listen to me carefully you don't always have to be connected oh that was so weak and pitiful <laughs> James chapter 4 uh, and if you have if you have it in your bible i'm, I'm going to read this one because it came out of when i was listening uh, looking at the new living translation Uh, some words just jumped out to me that really just grabbed me by the throat. And I thought, excellent. This is exactly what we want to talk about. James chapter 4, starting from verse 1. Notice what it says. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Do they come from evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have. Lift your head up one minute. Look at me. You are jealous of what others have. It's amazing how much jealousy in the body of Christ. You say, well, pastors, we're in church. Christians don't get jealous. (laughs) Hallelujah. It's amazing because the society pits the have against the have-nots, and they make it look like anybody that has a nice car, anybody that has a nice house, anybody that has a little bit of money, they must have stolen it because they couldn't really work hard. And this jealousy gets up in, on the inside of you and, and you go to work and people are jealous. They, wanna, they don't want to give you a promotion and people are manipulating it and then that thing gets in your spirit and then you come to church and you bring that same attitude into the church. And listen to me carefully, there doesn't need to be any jealousy among Christians. Because the only person that can stop the plan of God for your life is you. Nobody can stop the plan of God for you. But, but he says, that, he says that, that you are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. Your motives are wrong. So Sister Mary comes to church and, and she's got a new BMW and, and she's popping it when she's coming to church. And, and you see her coming down the line. And you see, and, and, who does she think she is? Just showing off her. Now, do you know how much she had to work for that? Do you know where she had to sacrifice and wait while you were doing your thing? And so this war rages on the inside of us that we want and we want and, and we don't understand that things do not make a man. The outside beauty ladies don't make a lady. It's what is nourished and cherished and molded from the inside that comes to the outside that makes you a lady or a man. Just because you paint the outside doesn't mean the inside's clean. And that's what Jesus always is talking to us. He's always saying, don't forget about the outside. Don't, don't spend more time on the outside and less time on the inside. Because your inside will affect your outside. And so we come with all this tanglement in our hearts. and, and But we come on Sunday morning and we're looking pretty. We're looking handsome. We've done our hair, our nails, our, uh, uh, our makeup, uh, 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 our muscles and uh, We've done all this. Some of us it takes hours to put us together for a forty-five minute sermon. So we talk about James says that well, we get into all these things because we, we, we're, we're jealous and we, and we don't understand the principles of God. We don't understand, and then he says at the end, our motives are all wrong because we're doing it for the wrong reason. So here's the question we have to ask ourselves. How do I let go of selfishness? And I'm going to give it to you in one answer. One sentence, one answer. That's, why I, that's where we're going to focus in on this afternoon. One sentence, one answer. If you and I are going to get rid of selfishness or reduce selfishness on the inside of us, we must, we must be willing to live a crucified life With thanksgiving. How do I live? How do I crucify selfishness? By living a crucified life with thanksgiving. Listen to me carefully. That's why not everybody signs up to be a Christian. Because nobody else has to live a crucified life. God is only calling you and I to walk this kind of life. How do I crush selfishness in my life? By living a crucified life with thanksgiving. The thanksgiving part is the attitude that is connected to a crucified life. Because you can live a life with the wrong attitude, and in the kingdom of God, it means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. Because God is not so much care, doesn't care so much about what you do, it's how you do it. He's always checking our motives. He's always trying to figure out, he was always trying to show us why do we do the things we do? So I'm always examining my heart and say, God, uh, uh, why do I come to church? Well, you would say, well, because you're a pastor. That's true. But why, do I be a, why, I, why am I a pastor? What's the attitude of my heart? Why do you come to church this morning? Is it because we come to rub shoulders with people that we haven't seen for a while or we're making friends or whatever it is? If we come for the wrong motives, it's just a matter of time before you'll walk away. So how do we handle selfishness? By living a crucified life with thanksgiving. Let's break that down. I want to break that down, that, that whole statement. By living a crucified life With thanksgiving. This life that God calls us to live and walk is an everyday walk. It's not an event that you work yourself up to. No, it's an event that says every day I live to make decisions that will glorify God. If I'm going to live a crucified life, as I walk about my business, as I go to work, as I go to the grocery store, as I go to the doctor, as I go to visit friends, as I go to visit family, every decision I make is a God-honoring decision. And for a Christian living a crucified life, it's basically saying, Father, what, how should I react to this situation in my life? I think Paul the Apostle was the one that said it uh, 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 well. Go in your Bibles to Philippians uh, chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And and if you're on your phone, go to the Amplified Bible. I love the Amplified Bible. And and, and I always quote it because the Amplified Bible has a way of explaining things that even if you act like you don't know or you act crazy or you act stupid and and you act like, Father, what does that mean? The Amplified Bible expounds on it. So even a child would understand. Philippians chapter 4. Did did I say 2? You're wide awake. I got you. (laughs) Philippians chapter 2. And if you have the the ability to go to the Amplified, go to the Amplified. And we're going to start at verse uh, 3. Verse 3. We're talking about how do we live a, 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 a crucified life with thanksgiving. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 says, do nothing from a fractional motive. Fractional. Let me hear that one minute. Fractional. That means you, 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 everything you do, there's a string attached to it. Fractional. You, you treat people a certain way based on what they can do for you. So I want to hang out with this group of people. Why? Because they are, they're, they're the in crowd. They can give me prestige. They can give me recognition. And when I'm out, hanging out with them, they take me to another level. I hang out with this group of people because I like rich people because rich people always give you gifts. I, I want to hang out with the pastors because when you're hanging around pastors, it makes you look like you're spiritual. no. I, I hang out with this group of people, oh, I like beautiful people, so I only hang out with beautiful people because I don't, ugly people make me look bad. There's always a, a, a string connected to what you do, fractional motives. Fractional motives, are you selfish? Do you have fractional motives? Do you, do you play people? Do you manipulate people? Do you use people? That's why when, you, when you're in friendships, they, they, these kind of things come up to the surface. Because if you're a user and a manipulator, that's why too many people don't want to be around you. You say, Pastor, I don't have any friends. I wonder why. Well, I don't know, Pastor. They're all wrong. Look, listen to me carefully. 75 people cannot all be wrong. And there's only one common denominator, and it's you. But because no one will tell you the truth, I will tell you the truth. You are the problem. Don't tell me I'm the problem. Well, then keep living the way you want to live, fool. Listen to me carefully. There is so much truth going around in the world right now. And and, and people are picking and choosing what truth they will live by. Listen to me carefully. You and I only have one truth... To live by. And as I was saying in the beginning, you and I get to decide now. But listen to me carefully. If you choose the truth of the world, you must be prepared for the consequences of the world. Because there's so many Christians just fooling themselves to think, well, I can do whatever I want. I can come on Sunday morning, and I can raise my hand and worship God, and nothing really matters because ultimately nobody sees me. Listen to me carefully. The only person that sees you is the only one that matters. It's God. So if we're going to get a hold of selfishness, you have to be able to be real with yourself and be able to say, in this area there is a problem. But if I'm going to live a crucified life, I've got to choose to do it God's way. Philippians chapter 2, notice it in verse 3. Do nothing from fractional motives uh, through contentiousness, strife, selfishness, or for unworthy end, or prompted by conceit and empty arrogance. Instead, in the true spirit of humility, loneliness of mind, let each regard the others as better than and superior to himself, thinking more highly of one another... Then you do of yourself. If you and I are going to live a crucified life, we are going to have to put the good of others before you. You say, Pastor, that's hard. I know. I know. But let me ask you a question. When you are around people, do you add value to people? When you're with your friends, are you always trying to to find a way to bless them? Are you always trying to find a way to pour into them? Are you always trying to add value to their lives and help them get to where they need to be? Are you always concerned, how can I help you fulfill the plan of God in your life? Or is it always about you? Can you rejoice when someone else gets blessed? Or does it disturb you that they're getting blessed and you're getting nothing? How come she got a boyfriend? Because she may be sweeter than you. How come I don't get that promotion? Because that person may be working harder than you sacrificing more than you do. Five o'clock, you're supposed to leave the office, and you're already packing up at 4.30. And you think nobody sees you. And then when you're walking by Mary's station, and Mary's still working at five o'clock, and still helping someone on the phone, you're saying, Mary is an idiot. No, Mary knows who she's working for. And she ain't working for her boss. And everything Mary does, she does as unto the Lord. That's why when the door starts to open for Mary, you can't be jealous about her. You had the ability to make the same kind of decisions. That's what I love about church. This is where you can come and get real. This is where, and when it gets quiet, I love it because people are contemplating. Some people are getting ticked off. Some people are getting agitated. Some people are getting mm. Some people are going, oh, yeah, yeah, and they're getting challenged. And then the Spirit of God starts to work in your heart and say, look, there's an area in your life I've been trying to get your attention. He's talking about it. It's you he's talking to. And right there, you have a decision to make. Do I do it God's way or do I do it according to my flesh that I've been doing every single time? And every time you do it according to the flesh, you will get fleshy results. I think one of the, one of my favorite scriptures and it's probably, is my life scripture, is Galatians 2.20. And when it comes to this crucified life, when God was training me in, in, in my early years, in my 18, 19, 20, when He was training me about what it is to become a minister, He, he, he brought this scripture to me, and we all know it. We all this but mean, He started, he got this scripture and he started to rip it up for me and, and started to split it up and started to say, Henry, this is what you have to do. This is what this is what will help you not be a people pleaser. So in your Bible, go with me to Galatians 2:20. And again, if you have the Amplified, pull out the amplifier. Galatians 2.20. A- a- you know, sometimes we, we, we rush through the Scriptures because we, we, we want to move on to something else. Pastor, tell me something deep. T- t- tell me something earth-shaking. Tell me something that will blow my mind. Even if I blew your mind, you will still be disobedient. So it's not about blowing your mind. It's about you and I becoming obedient to the word. Obedient to it. No matter the price. How do I live a crucified life? And and when you say to me, Pastor, I can't do it on my own. Listen to me carefully. That's the exact point. You and I were never meant to live this life alone. And you and I were never meant to live this life without the help of the Spirit of God. Because without the help of the Spirit of God, you and I can never live. We can never have a desire to live a crucified life. Galatians 2.20. Notice what it says there. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm reading it out, out, out of the amplified. I love this. I have been crucified with Christ. Lift your had one minute. That part of us. That's the, that's our old nature. You, do you remember the time that before you became a Christian, how you, how you used to behave? Yeah. Oh come on, don't act like you don't know. We were like, we were good sinners before. You remember? And we enjoyed it. Parte. Right? We were good, Phil. Let me leave you alone. Good sinners. Right? And and, and we did things when we wanted to do it. We didn't care who it hurt. We didn't care what anybody said. We did it because we felt like doing it. Right, Mark who, girls? Hallelujah. Do do you understand? We we did everything because we felt it and we wanted to do it. We could care less about anyone. And we made decisions that pleased us. We were number one in our lives. It was me, mine, and it. Something like that. That part of you was the part that was supposed to die when you accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. I have been crucified with Christ. Man, it's hot up here. I'm sweating like anything. That's all right. We'll get the word out. Do do you understand me? Now, hell is going to be a lot hotter. So we can handle this one for now. And no complaining. He says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. In him, I have shared his crucifixion. That means all the ways that I wanted to do things in the past, all the attitudes, all the motivations, all the reasons why I did the things I did, that part of me died the moment I accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. That's the part of us that need, we need to crucify daily. Because even though we kill it, you have to keep killing it every day. Because that part of us wants to resurrect itself every now and again. And you and I know the moment someone cross us, or the moment, the moment someone says something that we feel disrespectful, it is amazing how those four-letter words can still come up. Pastor, I thought I was past cursing. (laughs) Pastor, I thought I I no longer use those words. You'll be surprised. If someone bumps you the wrong way, what will spill out of your mouth? Notice what it says there in, 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 in verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. In him I have shared his crucifixion. It is no longer I who live, but Christ the Messiah lives in me. And the life that I now live in the body, the life that I now live in the body, I live by faith. Listen to me carefully. When people say, Pastor, I don't feel like it. You were never supposed to operate in your feelings. The Bible says the life that I now live, I live by faith. What is faith? Look what it says in in, in the Amplified Bible. I live by faith by adherence to, reliance on, and complete trust in. What is the faith that he wants you to walk in? Uh, Adherence to. Adherence to what? The word. Uh, Reliance on who? Jesus. And our full, complete trust in what? The word of God. That's how we were supposed to live as Christians. And notice what it says there. Uh, And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith, by adherence to, a reliance on, and complete trust in, the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Why do you do the things we do? It's because we're so in love with Jesus. What's your motivation for you and I to do everything that we do in life? It's because he died for us while we were yet sinners. The reason why I will do anything in this world now is because I'm so in love with him and he becomes my motivation. Here's the thing you will always find out. The moment you do something with the wrong motives, God will always show you. Some of you prepared Thanksgiving dinner, and some of your relatives came over and they started complaining from the time they walked in until the time they walked out. And you're some, you sometimes wish, I wish they hadn't come. But you know, family, you just have to put up with them sometimes. But the reason is if, if someone didn't tell you thank you when you did something, that's when you can find out what kind of motive you have. Do you always have to get pat on the back? Does someone always have to say thank you to you? Or could you do something out of the kindness of your heart and because you're so in love with Jesus? That's how you can start to find out if selfishness is rooted in you. Is it rooted in you? The funny thing about that statement is this, by living a crucified life with thanksgiving, with Thanksgiving. As I said, we just, we just celebrated Thanksgiving. And some of us, it was the first time we said thank you to anybody, and we won't say thank you again until next year of Thanksgiving. But if you, if you and I are going to live a crucified life, we have to be able to live that life with Thanksgiving. The Bible says, enter his courts. Yeah? Enter his courts with thanksgiving and into his temple with praise What well, is the other way around Enter the praise with uh, enter the temple with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise be thankful Galatians 4:6 Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving Question are you a thankful person Are you a thankful person? When people get around you, can they sense that you are a thankful person? There's some people you get around, and and, and I tell you, you get around them, and it's almost like life and energy comes swelling up on the inside, and they're fun to be around because they pour life into you. They give you value. They encourage you. You say, man, I love being around that guy. He's always funny. He's always lifting me up. He's always speaking a word of truth. He's always encouraged me. Man, I love being around that girl. She's so uplifting. She has so much faith and passion in God. Why? Because she has the joy of the Lord. Most of us are, we want happiness. We want, we want happiness. We get a new car, we're happy. We get a new wife and we're happy. I get a new, you get a new boyfriend and you're happy. But the problem is, your car can be parked in the parking lot, and if you go outside and someone's hit it, your happiness is gone. Why do you think that, that people get that? No, they don't have happiness, they have joy, because the Bible says the joy of the is your, the reason why some of us have no strength, no strength because we have no joy. And the reason why we have no joy because we haven't made this thing real on the inside of us, and Jesus Christ is not playing a major role in your life. But we said with thanksgiving. Colossians says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all unto the name of the Lord, with giving thanks. Are you thankful? And our Thanksgiving is broken up in two words thanks and giving are you naturally a giver If you're going to live a crucified life if you're going to live this life that you sacrifice and crucify before God you are going to have to be a natural giver And when I talk about giving I'm not talking about money Because as soon as you say giving in church, the people think money. No, if you are only rich in money, but you're not rich in other areas of your life, you are still poor. You can have all the money in the world, but if nobody wants to be around you, you are still poor. Because we're always saying, oh, if I could just be like her. And let me tell you something, friendships take work. It takes sacrifice. It takes adding value to people around you. So when you go to your friends and, and you go there, you go with the intention of ministering to people. You go with the intention of saying, how can I add some value to you? How can I pour life? Paul says, Paul, the apostle Paul, at the end of his life, he says, my life is about to be over. I am poured out like an offering. What did Paul, all through Paul's life, he was pouring his life into other people. Pouring his life into other people. Pouring, his life was fascinating because all his life was about other people. And so when he gets to the end of his life, he says, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Listen to me carefully. For you and I to live this life, for you and I to be able to crucify selfishness, you and I have to live our lives in such a... Pay attention, look at me, pay attention. I love it when babies start crying. Shall I tell you why? Because we're in New York. Yes, do you think you're going to get on the subway in New York and tell the people around you, shh, I'm trying to get a hold of God? No. You need to be able to function in noise. Because you don't listen to God with these things, look at me, you don't listen to God with these things, you listen with God with this. So you can be in the midst of a storm and fighting and doing all these things, noise and people cursing and people smoking and people drinking, and you can be in the middle of all that and God can still whisper to your heart. I and mean, when people say, Well, I can't hear God because you're listening to God with the wrong instrument. You're so naturally minded when God wants to speak to you here. And people want everything so smooth. That's not going to happen. Look all through the Bible. All through the Bible. The Christians were going through hell but Paul always expected them to behave like Christians. The Spirit of God always expected the Christians in the Bible times, no matter how much hell they were going through, he always expected them to behave like Christians. You and I have no excuse. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care what valley you're going through. You are to be a Christian every season. But the season of that, but the Christians that can give us. I, I, let me tell you to the last scripture. I, I wasn't going to do this, but le- there's a scripture that I was taught when, I, when I, at a very early age. It's in, uh, hold on, I'll get it to you in a minute. That's the other thing about technology. Go with me to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. and we're just going to read it from a normal translation. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to begin in a minute at verse 6. I know in this scripture it's talking about resources and giving of money and, and giving of things, but I want, to, I want to expand your thinking this morning. I don't want you to be just one-dimensional in your thinking that, oh, this, this scripture is always talking about. No, no, listen carefully. You and I should be walking givers Walking givers. Our whole life should be about pouring into other people. But you have to know the secret. You have to know the reason and the motivation behind all your giving. Notice what it says in, in, in verse 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. But, but this I say, uh, say he who sows sparingly will also. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Hold on one minute, I just jumped something. There you go. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Listen to me carefully. We're talking about a giver in every area of your life. So when you're in among your friends, what do you bring to the table? What do you bring to the table? Do you bring enough joy to the table? Do you bring peace to the table? Do you bring a a strong commitment that says, I will hold your secret to my grave? The reason why people are scared to talk to people nowadays is because they can't trust anybody. Girl, you know what Susan said? And, And if you don't want to make it sound like a gossip, let's pray for Susie. That's how we gossip in church. We don't just say, I, 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 hey, you know what, Su- no, no, we, we, Christians, we polish it up. Uh, let's pray for Susie. And, and you know, what's the, what's the normal response? What's wrong with Susie? You know, Susie, <laughs> she, has boy, she, she has boy's trouble. And she's doing this, she's doing that. And why? We can't find anybody to trust. But he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap. You, you and I should be givers abundantly to people. Notice what it says there, verse 7. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of a necessity. When you give, don't put an attachment to it. If you be a blessing to people, do it because you're so in love with Jesus and you're doing it with the right motives. That's how you stamp it out. It says, not, uh, So let each one give as he purposes his heart, not grudgingly or of a necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Cheerful giver. And then the secret is in the next verse, verse 8. And God is able. Who's able? Who's able? Who's able? Who's your source? Yes. Yes. Notice what it says there. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That's favor. All grace abound towards you. That you always having all sufficiency in all things. That's a prosperous Christian. A prosperous Christian is not just rich in one area. He's rich in all areas of his life. That's the kind of Christian that should come into your life. That's the kind of Christian you and I should be so that when we move into people's lives, we're adding value to them. And we're pouring out our lives. You say, how do I smash selfishness? By living a consecrated life with thanksgiving. I'm going to have the worship team come or make their way back up on the stage here. But you, you, you say, Pastor, that's hard. Yeah, yeah, it is hard. It's hard to live a consecrated life. It's hard to live a crucified life because if your motivation is not Jesus, you can't do it. Because while everybody's going in the other direction, people will be misusing you, manipulating you, using you, doing all kinds of things. And when you start to walk this life, people will think you're a fool. But when the blessings of the Lord start coming in your direction, People will step back and say, wow, what's happening in their life is because they decided to live a consecrated life. And over a period of time, over a period of time, over a period of time, you know, people will say, well, pastor, how long do I have to live? Can I, can I live the life three weeks? And after three weeks, if God doesn't show up, I'm going back to my own thing. That attitude is just wrong. Because if that's your attitude, God already knows. So he will just outweigh you. And in fact, the enemy will leave you alone in those three weeks because he thinks, think, well, I'm not going to go attack them. Why? Because they're, they're, they're so dedicated. They're ready to love Jesus. And, and for the next three weeks, they, oh, they're going to they're be in prayer meetings. They're going to be in reading their Bible. They're going to be doing it. I will give them about four weeks. And then I will come knocking. Because by the time they get to four weeks and God hasn't shown up, they will give up. And the goal of the Christian is to be able to outlast your enemy. And the only way you and I can outlast our enemy, we have to make sure to be able to say it to ourselves, Father... I choose to live this life. That's why we talked about living a consecrated life. I choose every day, every month, every year to choose to make these decisions. Because now it becomes a way of life. So I'm not one way in church and then another way at home. I'm not one way in church where I can come and put on the mask and everything else, and and people can say, whoa, you're great, you're this, and magnificent. And then you get home, and your wife can't stand you. You get home, and your husband thinks you are fake. You get home, and your children think you are a joke. You get around your friends and they've known you a little bit. That's why people don't stay with people long. Because the longer you are with people, the more they get to know you. And so when people say, well, I I don't have friends. You know why? Because they never stay long enough. So people can see the real you. My thing to you this afternoon is this. Will the real you stand up? Not, Not now, but stand up. Do you understand me? Because at the end of the day, as I said in the very beginning, you get to choose. But listen to me carefully. If you choose not to do it God's way, that's fine. That's fine. Don't do it God's way. Do it your way and when you have gotten enough pain, another headache, enough broken hearts, enough wounds and bruises and everything else, maybe then you will realize that doing it God's way is the only way. That's the blessing thing about Christianity is that you can't make anyone be a Christian. That's why when I quoted 1 Thessalonians 4.11, mind your own business, you need to, some of you needs to step back. Some of you got adult kids and and your, your, your adult kids are still fighting because they're trying to figure out, do I want to walk in the way my parents taught me or do I want to do my own thing? And all of us remember when we were 20 years old. You remember? Some of us, when we were 20, we were not serving Jesus. We were singing different songs. What's love got to do, got to do with it? Do you understand? Different songs. But God still got us here. That's why sometimes it's going to take faith. But you get to choose. And as I said before, you choose. The only thing I will say to you is that whatever the consequences are, you can't blame God. Now that would just be ridiculous. Because God will say, you never chose me in the first place. So we sang a song this morning. "Is I gave myself away. I give myself away. Notice the song says, I give myself. Jesus Christ will never force you. Your parents can never force you. Boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, best friends, BFF, FBFF, all those people... They can't force you. You as an offering, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, you have got to take yourself and your selfishness and put it on the altar. But it's your choice. Why don't we stand to our feet this this afternoon? This, this is one of those messages that you've got to be able to dice, digest it a little bit. This is one of those things that you, you pay attention to yourself and you say, God, here I am. In a minute, we're going to start to sing that song. And, and, and what I want to do is this, if, if, if that's you, if you know there's areas in your life that, that you've been struggling with with selfishness and jealousy and all that stuff, there's nothing wrong with that. The only thing that gets wrong is when you don't want to do anything about it. The only thing that's wrong is when, when, when we call you forward and, and, and all of us have to come forward. But when you call us forward, and somehow you think the people that come forward are the wretched ones and the ones that are still in their seat are the holy ones. No, every single one of us are wretched. Every single one of us have a piece of selfishness on the, on the inside of us. Every single one of us have to die to self daily but no one can kill it except you. Selfishness, you got to kill it. Pride, you got to kill it. And so what we'll do right now is that we're going we're gonna to come up forward as they start to worship. And I want you to stand. Don't kneel. Don't fall on the ground because we don't want to step on you. Do you understand? Just stand up like normal people because Christians are normal hallelujah but let's come up here and, and let's just say Lord I, I, I'm going to give my life to you and, and not because I have to because I want to and as they start to sing you make your way forward and let's stand and then we'll pray we'll dedicate ourselves to the Lord and then we'll say a blessing and go home we don't have to stay here long we don't have to yell scream and do we don't have to do anything like, here's the thing if the spirit of God doesn't change you I can't change you. And I don't don't even want to waste the time to. But if the Spirit of God changes you, you will remain changed forever. So let's sing this song and you make your way forward. And then we'll close up in prayer.